Hello, everyone. Before we get to our guest today, I have a very exciting announcement, and it's all about Path 11 TV. We finally have apps for pretty much every device that you can think of. You can watch Path 11 TV now on your iPhone, Apple TV, iPad, the Android, Android TV. Roku should be out by the time you hear this. We also have Amazon Fire for the phone, tablets, and TV. And the easiest way to actually find Path 11 TV would probably be to just go to the website, path11tv.com. It's on the home page. You're going to scroll down and then whatever device you have, just go ahead and click the icon. It'll bring you to the place to be able to download the app right on your phone or your tablet or wherever else you are looking to watch Path 11 TV. You can also search your device's app store and that should come up as well. Now, as you know, we do have a seven-day free trial for everybody for Path 11 TV. If you would like to commit with us on a month-to-month basis, we are offering 25% off the first three months. And I want you to use coupon code AFTERLIFE25. Uh, We're only going to be offering that for a little while longer. Normally, the monthly membership or subscription is $9.99, but with this code, Afterlife25, you will get 25% off your first three months, and that's about $7.49 a month. If you would like to have some of the great perks of an annual membership, then I suggest that you use coupon code LAUNCH40. Make sure you put LAUNCH40 in before purchasing, otherwise you're going to be buying it for $99. LAUNCH40 coupon code gives you the membership for 40% off for only $59.99. And probably come January 1st of 2021, uh, that code will no longer be available to use. So get your discount in now. We do have a new show that's coming out. Uh, We're going to be putting out new footage constantly. So I will try to reach out to you guys through the podcast or through our newsletter site. But the new show that we are launching now is Ask Dr. Death with Dr. Terry Daniel and Dr. Karen Wyatt. So it's pretty amazing. The two of them are just experts in the field. They will field questions from people and they are really looking at the tough topics to talk about when it comes to death. We are also looking possibly in January to include my spiritual self-help book club into the annual membership subscribers. Uh, Right now I am running the book club every month on the second, third, and fourth Monday. We meet on Zoom and I also bring in the authors. So I'm choosing books from authors that have been on the Path 11 podcast to join us for a Q&A. So this makes this book club unlike any others that I've seen out there and it's awesome. So stay tuned for that announcement. And we are also having and inviting people on the 11th of each month to come into a private Zoom room to offer some of their skills. So we have a numerologist coming up in January. We have a couple of other people, I don't want to give it away yet, who have committed to give our annual membership subscribers something a little extra. If you are subscribing for the annual membership, you will be emailed the special event and the Zoom link, very similar to our launch when we launched Path 11 TV people who purchased the annual membership got to go into a private Zoom room with Suzanne Northrup and get a uh, mediumship reading. So that's stuff that we are looking to bring to you in 2021. So also be on the lookout for that. Best way to get these updates would be to subscribe to our newsletter. So head on over to path11tv.com, download the app that you need, purchase a subscription that best fits your budget, and make sure that you use those coupon codes because they're not going to be around forever. All right, everyone, let's get to our show today. 
Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 Podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. I have an extraordinary guest that is on our show today, and it is just true to my heart because I absolutely love music. As you can see, I've got the guitars behind me. Music is my life. Um, There is not a day that goes by that I am not listening to music in some capacity. And I stumbled upon a very spiritual musician. This singer is phenomenal. If you want to be transported to some other realm of spirituality, you have got to get her in your earbuds and you have to listen to her. She is amazing. Her name is Sangeeta Kaur and she's a classical crossover new age singer and composer. She's revered across the globe for her breathtaking recordings. And when I say breathtaking, her voice takes my breath away. Um, Mesmerizing live performances. And as memorable as her music is, Sangeeta sees a higher purpose to her art, which is why we invited her on the Path 11 podcast. She feels that her art is all a part of her deeply personal journey and holistic approach to life, love, and spirituality. We're going to hear about her spiritual awakening that occurred in 2009. And we're also going to hear about how she really feels like there is a bridge between her music in the earthly realm and the spiritual realm. So, uh, Sangeeta, welcome to the Path 11 podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here and really excited to just talk about all of these beautiful elements of music and spirituality. My favorite. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. I am hoping, um, you know, with your permission that we, for our podcast listeners that listen through audio and maybe they're not actually watching the video, but uh, people can come over to Path 11 TV and watch this podcast for free, but maybe we can even do an intro and an outro of your music um, and kind of bookend it a little bit would be nice. That would be beautiful. Yes, I'd love that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, your name came across my desk. And first of all, you're just breathtakingly beautiful. I have to say that. And the cover of um, it's your album out right now, Illuminance. Am I pronouncing that right? Um, yeah, I was just like, oh my gosh, I, I didn't even hear you. I just saw you and was drawn in. And then I began to listen. So before I even said yes, I said, well, let me check this out. You know, I have a pretty good ear for music. And I was just blown away. It was so beautiful. It's so relaxing. You definitely Mm -hmm. have a gift. And your mom and dad knew that early on, right? (laughs) Um, And you also have a really interesting upbringing, which is where I'd like us to begin. And I'd like you to talk about how you had two parents. Um, Your mom was a hardcore Catholic, your dad was a hardcore Buddhist, and you were practicing both religions as a young girl and kind of blending the two. So let's talk a little bit about that and kind of how your life progressed to come into the beautiful voice that you have now and the music that you're making. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, as we know, there's never a coincidence. There are no coincidences. Things always happen for a reason more than you can even imagine and some things that you don't understand until so, so much later. So, you know, when I think back of my childhood, I I just really remember being 
so sensitive and um, inspired by sound, by music. And it's, you know, as a child, you're not thinking anything. You're just kind of feeling and experiencing this experience. And so, yeah, I, as I think back, I know that I've always been um, a child of music. I was born um, to be, to have that relationship with music. It wasn't really till later that I really experienced like, oh my gosh, but this is my path. So it started, I, you know, I always say, oh yeah, my spirituality, my awakening started so much later, but in the beginning, you know, my parents, they were amazing. They come from two completely different spiritual backgrounds. My mom's side, they are devout Catholics. Um, they, they live it so deeply with it in their hearts. My father's side, they're devout Buddhists, and they also live with it so deeply in their being and in their hearts. And, you know, when I was a kid, I really didn't understand either. I just followed along, went to church with my mom, uh, went to the temple with my dad on another day. So, you know, Saturday, temple, Sunday, church. And it was just sort of a normal thing. But we know that you know, up until you're a certain age and some, some cultures and lineage just say about 11 years old, everything that you're exposed to up until that point is your absolute foundation on every level, whether spiritually or not. So I just felt, and I feel so blessed today that even at the moment, maybe I wasn't even paying attention while I'm at church or at the temple, just sort of seeing it as something different. It really, um, I feel like it really it created that foundation for me. And so even though many, many years later, did it finally kind of spark something, it doesn't matter. I mean, I'm, I'm just so grateful for having that experience and having my parents come from um, those two really strong backgrounds. Yeah, you know, very interesting, too, because I was brought up in more of a Catholic tradition, uh, household family, but now I practice more Buddhism. Mm -hmm. Um, But I still love so many of the rituals of the Catholic religion. And, you know, the saints and, you know, praying and, you know, just the art of all of that. So I I think it's all it's all good when it's all based in love. Um, Now, I I know your dad really inspired travel in you too, right? He would take you, you know, all around the world. And I know that um, maybe we could also talk about too, what your background in music is. I know that you studied some opera. Um, So maybe kind of take us from childhood into maybe teenage college years and what it was like and, you know, traveling with dad and going to school and what you studied. So um, my dad is an engineer, but he, so I'm Vietnamese. Both of my parents are from Vietnam and, um, they came over here after the fall of Saigon in 75. So they didn't actually know each other in Vietnam. They met here in the United States and married here. And then obviously myself, my brother. And so um, while he was in Vietnam, he used to fly helicopters. So it was just something that he always loved and was a part of. And so when he came to America, you know, the first thing he's thinking to study is something that had to do with airplanes and engineering. (laughs) So he did. He became an engineer and he started to work for the airlines. And so he's, he's really like a kid at heart. And he loves adventure. He loves to explore. He loves to travel. And for some odd reason, 
you know, even me as a teenager, he just wanted me to have that experience. I don't know if it's because he didn't get to do all of that himself, but he just, he wasn't afraid to let his kids go and like see the world. So I started traveling because of him. You know, I, we did a father daughter trip for the first time for me going to Vietnam. Um, it was just as he introduced me to that part of his world and mine. And um, he was the first one to take me over to Europe to France and to kind of like see this. I mean, when you're that young for the first time and back in the day, it was so different. Traveling was so different. You really felt the culture shock. You know, nowadays you don't totally feel that. So he, I think, opened my eyes up to um, so much more and history and culture and art and all of that. So that really, again, ingrained my entire life and like put that into my consciousness, you know? So um, growing up, I just loved traveling and seeing the world and exploring, experiencing and learning about people and and all of that and connecting and, and then language. You know, I, I speak three languages now, but because wow. of my operatic background, you know, in school, you have to study pretty much every language that has anything written in opera. So we had to learn, you know, Russian, French, Italian, German, even English diction, how to sing properly in English. Wow. So I just feel like everything from my childhood inspired me to see my path a little bit clearer without knowing it at the time. It's just something I was, I felt called and connected to. So I followed it. Um, it wasn't really easy in the beginning because yes, my parents were um, a little bit more open than most Vietnamese families, I think, you know, um, but real at still a Vietnamese young woman or even a young man doesn't pursue the arts. It's just not what you do because um, especially with that generation and the generation before who struggled in war and, you know, suffering and not having enough and survival. So that was the embedded um, thing in their consciousness, right? That they kind of projected onto me. And this is such a normal thing that happens to everybody. Our parents project their fears, their worries, um, out of love for their own children. So that's, that was their projection on me that you had to have a job that you're going to thrive and make a lot of money. So the arts was just kind of out of the question. Um, but you know, based on my character and I don't know, my stubbornness and you'll even see it in my charts, (laughs) (laughs) a stubborn and driven Capricorn. (laughs) And so, you know, I just, it was always hard for me to take no for an answer. And only because when I really felt strong about something, I, I, there was just nothing that could get in my way. I mean, I don't know. I honestly, not sure where that came from. I just, I think it just came from source. I think it's, it's, it was God's plan to give me that personality too, because I wouldn't have been able to push through and have all of these life experiences and choose the path that I had chosen. Um, So all of that. And I went to school. I just said, okay, I'm studying biology, but secretly I was minoring in music. (laughs) Learn 
as much as I could. I just wanted to learn. And, and so I did. And finally I graduated. I got a bachelor's. They were fine. When I went off for my master's degree in music, my mom, she's adorable, <laughs> but she did ask me, honey, what are you going to study again? You know, she's, she's like still not totally certain that I'm choosing the path of music. And I just said, mom, I'm going to study, continue to study opera, you know? And um, all of that kind of just, I went away, I went to Boston. I, I took my step away from home. And it wasn't until when they finally came to my concerts, recitals, and, and I guess to them understood there's something there. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, they really saw the joy that it brought to people. Um, and this was before I knew anything about spirituality. This is just music stuff, you know. Um, they saw the joy. They saw, oh, my God, my daughter really does have a talent. And so they kind of let go of the reins a little bit, you know, loosened up a little bit. Um, not until I, should we go into like, what happens next? <laughs> yes, yes, keep going. I am all ears. So I finished grad school. I went to Italy and I lived there for two years to kind of continue and study and learn Italian and sort of just kind of get deeper into the culture of music and um, Europe, you know, where it all kind of came from, classical music. And so there was a moment I remembered, um, I just realized everything was against me. This was like at the end of the two years in Italy, which was just the most amazing, amazing time of my life that um, I felt that it was pushing me to leave. And I just said, why isn't at the end of it, nothing is working out. I can't get a work visa. I'm just kind of struggling here. I can't really do and pursue what I want to. And I was dating someone at the time. And his father just took me into his library. I was kind of starting to do a little bit yoga up in the attic and pretending to meditate. I didn't know. I never had a teacher. I never (laughs) went to classes. I just, I don't know. I just tried, you know. Um, and this was like in 2008. So we didn't have access yet quite much to a lot as we do now. And so he would see that I'm meditating and doing yoga. And so he showed me his library one day. This was like at the end of my two years there. And in his library were books full about yoga, philosophy, practice, Buddhism, all of this, right? At the same time, I'm not into that quite yet. I didn't really understand it. I'm seeing all these books and it all, I almost remember what they look like because later I remembered the books that he had there. I was like, oh <laughs> my God, I have these books now. And that's amazing. I, I, it was the kickstart to my introduction to all of that. I didn't know at the time. But it was those seeds starting to ripen <laughs> and um, reveal, re-reveal themselves to me again, you know? Wow, wow. And yeah. um, it was just sort of guiding me. It was only about maybe two, three weeks later that I um, had to leave. And I didn't want to go back to California, where I came from. So I went to New York. 
to kind of get into that whole crazy music circuit, audition, get a job, get a, get a place to live, struggle, 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 just push through, audition, audition, get that dream, operatic job, get on the stage. Oh, no. I was only there maybe three weeks. I got my job. I got my apartment. Um, but my boss at my new job says, oh, my gosh, you're an opera singer. One of my clients is an opera singer. Go. Here's some tickets. She's waiting for you. She invited you. Perfect. I show up. I meet this random person who felt this call to just stick his face in my face and say, hi, who are you? I need to know you. This um, gentleman turns out to be my very first music producer who happened to also be a really profound and devoted Buddhist meditator, practitioner, uh, big time yogi, just uh, an amazing, amazing um, being that in three, my first three weeks of time in New York City, invited me and showed me every spiritual center, took me to all of these amazing yoga classes with, I don't know, you probably know some of the names, Dharma Mitra, um, going to Jiva Mukti. Um, I, was, I was introduced to Tibetan Buddhism at the Three Jewels down in the east side. I mean, it just, it happened so fast. Uh, but yet, you know, it just felt so natural. Like, um, I didn't really understand any of the philosophy. I, I've never studied it before. But when I first sat at Three Jewels at the Tibetan Buddha Center, hearing the first meditation class, sitting and meditating with a group and with an incredible teacher named Hunsok, who remained my teacher till this day, I felt like everything he was saying I had heard before. And it was, it felt like not only joyous and, and lightning, but it, was, it felt like a relief. Like finally, somebody is saying something that makes sense. Because all of these questions probably were always there, built up, but I didn't even know that I had them. I think I had joy, but I always felt like something was missing. But without having guidance, without even being introduced on this level, you don't know until you're exposed to it. And it just sort of hits you, <laughs> you know, in the head, like, oh, my God, what happened? What is this? What's happening to me? You know, why does this all make so much sense? You know, I, I'm changing. And the more and more classes I went to, um, I just became obsessed almost to needing to know more, to learn more, to understand more, because it's just little bits and bits are just kind of revealing itself through me too. And more and more questions are coming and more and more answers are being answered and questions are being answered. And it was such a, a strange and the most amazing experience. You know, I tell people I moved to New York City this hustle bustle city that everyone knows the city that never sleeps to pursue something in the arts. And I came out completely awakened, not completely, but a touch of that, that completely shifted my life forever. 
Right? Wow. I, was, wow. I mean, the, the teachings that we had were so profound. I, you know, I felt that the subtleness that was happening, um, the way that things were taught, I don't know. I mean, it's like, when I don't, it's really hard to find some of these teachings for me now. Um, I think that it's so diluted these days. There weren't a lot of places to go back then. And so everything was so um, authentic and very pure from pure source and traditional. Um, and so as the years come by and we're seeing so many places opening and spirituality just hitting you know, mainstream. And, um, I just, I feel so grateful to have had that time in my life to be taught by such, um, incredible teachers, um, that were teaching so purely. Um, yeah, it's, you know, all of that really transmitted into everything that I do now. And, um, with the music, I mean, I, I can't just do opera anymore. You know, I feel like creatively, this is my way to communicate and to share and to um, help others. Like, and it's not about you know pushing it in their face anymore. It's it's for me. It's my path to um, be subtle, to be gentle, to put it out there to reach those who are kind of on the verge of having this experience of their own and to have sort of a place for them to have refuge through music, um, to feel this connection with source, but it doesn't have to be so like, this is what you have to do. And otherwise you're not going to, you know, achieve anything. And, um, you're going to come back to this life. You know, it's like, no, let's, let's do it with love and gentleness. And, um, yeah, I mean, every, every song is, is a dedication to some degree. It's, um, yeah, it's definitely changed my life in every way, all these experiences. Okay. So I'd like to ask you some questions about the albums because you have quite a few. Let me see. Let me grab my notes here. You have, I counted. So I subscribe to Spotify. That's where I've been listening to your music. And uh, I see on there that you have five albums from 2016 to 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, when you listen, I am sure people have told you before that you sound like an angel. There's a very angelic quality and like ethereal type of vibration and music that I feel when I listen to you. I mean, you, your voice with um, a few of the albums that I listen to, it's like a very high octave, right? It's like you can really get up there in those higher realms, which I feel like activate my upper chakras when I'm listening to you. Um, Definitely like starts from the heart and just kind of like brings me up. I feel like I'm floating, but um, yeah, but I mean the music it just really feels like you're connecting into different dimensions for me. Um, and the music, when I listen to you, it transports me, you know, there's a meditative quality, there's a quality of beauty, there's a quality of calmness. But um, I immediately felt like, oh, I feel like I'm in the angelic realm. <laughs> so, um, you know, I'm curious to know, because I know that you've said before that you feel like you're a bridge between earth and the heavenly planes. And I'm always really curious to speak to musicians, because I know that their right brains are a little more activated, right. And when we move in 
into the right brain, that's where we have more access to our intuition. That's what kind of gets activated when we're in meditative states and allows us, I would say, more entry into realms that we can't see with our physical eye. So I'm curious to know about your creative process, you know, with the awakening, with all of your spiritual teachings that you've learned, you know, do you go into deep meditation? Do you feel like you're channeling um, some of these notes or songs that are coming through you? Um, and I just kind of like want to hear more about that connection as an artist um, you know, hearing the music before you compose it or create it. And do you feel like there's something guiding you? And maybe even from different realms, maybe it's not just God, maybe there is an angelic realm that's coming through, or something else. So I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, I love this topic so much. Um, I mean, so, so that, that, that period, right, in New York, remember, I was just singing classical music. And I, I discovered, before I started really going deep into yogic practice, I discovered when I'm singing, and I used to spend hours in the practice room, you know, we have to be so aware of the body. That is, it's, it's um, we call it um, acrobats for the voice, right? A vocal, vocal acrobats. But you can only create these sounds when you're so connected to the body and so aware of the body and obviously the breath. I mean, the whole, this whole thing is just so fascinating to me and, and, and it's, it's beautiful. So when you sing, when I, even my teachers who weren't practicing meditation and yoga would always remind me, feel your feet, feel the ground, feel connected to the earth you know, feel grounded. And then when you're singing, you're singing into the ground, into your feet, into your legs, into your hips, um, the breath, the navel, everything starts at the core and then expansion. I mean, listen to the words just right there, the expanding of your lungs, expanding of your chest, your back, feel, feel the vibration here in your chest, in your navel. Um, you know, all of these terms and instructions, um, there are times when I would be instructed, feel the vibration here at your forehead. Okay, at that note, let it just come out of the crown of your head. I mean, this was like zero spirituality had nothing to do with these lessons. But yeah. as you can hear, this is what we had to do to sing. This is the stuff that we had to focus on, our breath, our connection to the body, these points in our, in our physical body. And when I started to study uh, yoga and meditation, like so deeply, it just, I was blown away because I realized, oh my gosh, that was my form of meditation. And I didn't know it at the time, but like it was doing something to me on a subtle level. And my pranic body, my breath, I mean, it, I was, we, we meditate on the breath. When we're singing classical music, you are meditating on the breath. And when you can, that's when sound comes out so purely with so much ease. When you see some of these opera singers sing, you can feel them. I mean, it's like it, it does something to your subtle body, which then projects out to the listener and it reaches the listener. They, I mean, they don't even need to know what you're singing about, but they feel 
something. They feel some kind of connection to something. And I always think no matter if you're really conscious or not, if you're singing and performing on that level, you are channeling, right? But it's even more profound when you're conscious of it, Mm -hmm. when you're aware of it. So, you know, um, I started, I was introduced to mantra, obviously these years when I was in New York. So my, that producer of mine would just ask me to come over. Hey, I have this song. Can you just, can you just read these words and sing this melody? There are mantras, Sanskrit, Gurmukhi, Tibetan mantras, beautiful, powerful mantras. And I'm singing them for hours, not knowing what I'm singing, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm feeling something. Right. All I want to do is keep coming back. What do you have next? What is that? Can you show me something new? So um, when I finally understood what all of these mantras were, I became so fascinated and I wanted to study them and sing them myself and write music for them myself and practice them with my meditation. So all of that sort of developed so much deeper later. But what happens when you chant mantra? It is it is connecting to God. It is connecting to source. It is connecting to your higher self. It is vibrating um, all of these points of you, energy points. It is affirmation. They, there is just it's it's medicine. It's pure medicine. And the way that you sing is an offering. It's a dedication. It's with there is no you. There's no sense of ego. There's no sense of you. You are just connecting. And so I feel that practice of mantra, I can't sing anything else without um, wanting to have that same experience. So whether I'm singing an operatic piece, a Broadway piece, a contemporary piece, a love song, whatever it is, if I'm not feeling that same kind of energy that I do when I'm chanting, something's wrong. It's just off because I feel like in any type of song, you can connect to a higher place and that song will affect somebody in a more positive way. And through the years, I really made a choice as well of like what songs to sing. If they're not my own, what songs do I want to sing? What kind of energy do I want to continue to put out into the world. That's why I kind of, I left the opera world, the mainstream, mainstream opera world. Although I, I love the music, I just began to choose exactly what I thought would still benefit people, at least coming from me. Because again, I can't sing a song without connecting to God or to source or to the universe. I just, um, it's just not there for me anymore. I'm, I'm, you know, I feel like um, I want to become a more responsible artist and I want to I want to have more effect and impact in the music. Um, so my process when I'm writing, um, it's it's I've, I've never seen myself as a writer before these albums because I always sung dead people's music, like old operas. <laughs> you know, they're not mine. So I never practiced that. I never exercised that muscle to actually write. And when I did, it started off writing songs for mantras, melodies for mantras, 
and chance and using being able to use it for meditation and um you know i just i really just go into that place of um getting out of my own way knowing that i'm human i have an ego i have all of these human things and if i really want to use my music to share to people and have it used as medicine and to be something uplifting for them i need to get out of my own way i can't think about oh how does this sound um are people going to like it people who are not into uh, mantra music who know me as more classical are they going to accept this am i going like there could be so many things that run through your head this uh, am i pronouncing this correctly i mean you i just it's like just stop this is not about you this is for the listener this is to benefit them just connect to god connect to your higher self and and chant just chant and so no matter if it's a mantra or if it's a classical piece i try so hard to just get out of the way because i i am channeling we are channeling all the time it depends it's your choice what and how you want to channel to mm. the listener so, so i have to ask you another question though because yeah. you're touching on something that i have written down because your first album 2016 album i might pronounce it wrong is it naguma 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 that has i mean all the mantras, right? All these different mantras. And I had that playing. I, I just like having it on, you know, to be able to absorb all of that. And I have kind of a funny story. Um, one of my teachers and healers had noticed one year that my throat chakra was really closed. And mm -hmm. she said, have you ever chanted before? And I'm like, no. And I only sing in my car and I don't sing in front <laughs> of people or anything. And I'm like chanting. And so she told me about it. And then I went to a yoga studio with a good friend of mine and neither of us had been exposed to Kirtan music yeah. or these chanting. And I remember feeling really uncomfortable and I'm like, I'm not going to sing. There's no way I'm not going <laughs> to sing and do this. But what happened there, I was sitting and I was listening to these mantras being sung. And all of a sudden I was crying unconditionally. Like, I mean, tears were just pouring out. I'm like, what is going on? I have to study more about this, right? Yeah. So I have to let our listeners know that you pick some beautiful mantras. One of my favorite is the Om Mane Pad Padme Hum. I believe that's a, yeah. yeah, I think that that's a heart opener. Yeah. Um, so that opener, that mantra. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Dalai Lama's um, mantra. And, oh, we have uh, to talk about that too. Your connection yeah. with the Dalai Lama. Oh my God, yeah. there's we have so so much. Okay, hold, let me ask you this question. You said, I, I choose songs that they have to make me feel that vibration that like these mantra songs do. Why did you put on the Mirrors album, Dust in the Wind? Because synchronicities, for whatever reason, my yeah. senior high school class we decided that was going to be our, our, our senior year song. We sang it at our graduation. Um, I had girls that were in my class that were in uh, choir and they could harmonize really beautifully. They would sing it on the bus all the time. We would play sports. So for some reason it became our senior song. Why? Yeah. So what does that song mean to you? Cause I was like, Oh, that's interesting. Interesting. Right. Um, for me, when I hear that song, it reminds me that like 
that exactly. We are dust in the wind. It's for me, it really came from a place of impermanence. When I hear the lyrics, I know Kansas had, you know, their own interpretation of it and why they wrote it. But for some reason, for me, it just reminds me of the teachings of impermanence that we're this body, this life, everything that we're seeing, our experience, all of this is impermanent, that nothing lasts forever. You know, um, that we are the dust in the wind and we will always kind of become something new. This body is, imper is impermanent, but our souls are infinite. And so this body will leave us. It will become dust. We'll fly off, but we'll become something else. We'll be reborn into something else. And all of that kind of will touch and affect everything around and everyone around. And it transforms. We're constantly transforming from everything and from nothing. And we are that dust in the wind. It's it just, to me, I'm like, oh, my God, this song is about impermanence. I wish I could ask them what they why they wrote it you know, what it meant to them um but yeah it just kind of jumped out at me as as that and it also reminds me of um a very famous vietnamese song it's called um gat bui which is also it translates to almost like dust dust as well and the composer who wrote this you know when i listen to it the interpretation is very similar. And so I thought, wow, this is like, like dust in the wind. And then I'm listening to dust in the wind. I'm like, oh my gosh, these songs are so, they have so much similarity. And the meaning behind it for me, for both of those songs is about impermanence. So wow. I, just, I wanted to bring in that Mirrors album because it was much more um, intimate. It was just guitar, piano, and vocals. And I, I wanted a song, a, um, a cover song that had a strong message and that the words can really resonate with people. And especially those who, again, are like awakening or on the verge. It's just sort of like, whoa, it could, it could spark something with this song so familiar, but with such a profound meaning behind it. I, I mean, yeah. I just love that song so much. <laughs> I love that song too. So I thought and that I'm was so glad that it was a part of your life too. <laughs> it was, yeah. And you know, I always look for these small little synchronicities with each yeah. guest that I have. I can always find something. I was like, whoa. And I remember I was like, oh when I saw it, I was like, oh, that can't be like Dust in the Wind, you know, the song that I know. And, and I'm like, Dust in the wind. <laughs> I'm like, it is, it is. That's so cool. So, all right, let me ask you another question too, because I don't, I know my listeners would love to hear more about your relationship with the Dalai Lama. Yeah. So, and uh, yeah. And talk, so talk to me about that. How did you come to meet him and what was it like to be in his presence? And I know you're still, you know, you still have a relationship with the Dalai Lama. So tell me more about that. You know, um, so the teacher that I was telling you about named Punsuk, um, the one that I was studying with in New York and who is still so very dear to me, you know, um, part of the Tibetan tradition um, is finding your heart teacher. And in this tradition, there's also sort of this thing that happens where you have to ask three times. So back in the day, like thousands of years before, um, one teacher would take on a student maybe every, I don't know, 12 years, something like that. Nowadays, you just throw them all in one room and, you know, we can do this together. It's so different. 
And um, so you're, you're supposed to ask three times. When you really feel called on someone to be your teacher, you ask them three times at some point in your life. And I remember with Punsuk, I think, I don't know what happened. I, he, you know, after a class, he always does little um, private meetings if you have questions. Um, so I was, I, after class, I went to see him. And I remember the room wasn't huge, but he was sitting at the end of the room on his cushion. But it felt like he was a mile away. Something was happening. <clears throat> and I just knew that I had to ask him to be my teacher. I just, I don't, and I was so new to this whole practice. But as I'm, you know, traveling that mile to get to him, I'm sweating profusely. <laughs> I mean, I was, now when I think about, like, I had to purify in that seemingly one mile sprint to get to him where it was just across the room, <laughs> you know, in reality, it was across the room. But I was sweating and I, I was like, oh, my God. And I just remembered, like, getting onto the floor and asking him, and stuff, will you be my teacher? And he just sort of was like, oh, wow, but I don't know what I can teach you. And I just kept asking him. I asked him the whole three times. And he finally said, okay, I will try my best. <laughs> you know? It's sort of like this joke, this sort of silliness. But it was something I felt so strongly about. And so Punsuk started to guide me, teach me about this all these meditations, these practices, these um, very old, ancient wisdom teachings. And eventually he said, um, you need to see his holiness, the Dalai Lama. Just, I think you need to study with him and learn more from him. And so Punsuk kind of pushed me in that direction. And so when his holiness came to New York, I immediately said, I'm, yeah, I'm going to go see him and da, da, da. but he comes and speaks to thousands of people <clears throat> at once and how are you ever going to meet him so there's this monastery that is in connecticut and um, i would go there every now and then to study with the monks up there and that year this monastery happened to host his holiness so every time his holiness comes into town there's always one um, temple that will kind of host him and take care of logistics and such. And so it happened to be that one that I was going to all the time. And I remembered um, standing outside waiting and it was a tiny little monastery, but there were only about 50 of us because nobody really knew about his arrival to the monastery. So I just was there and he came out of the car and, you know, greeted everybody, shook everyone's hand. And I'm sort of like, Oh, wow. And um, then as he's entering the monastery, you know, most of the people sort of turn around and they start to leave. And I'm just like, no, I'm going to sit here and stand here until I don't see him anymore. I just, I don't know. I just, I really, I'm just so drawn by this, this being. And as everyone's leaving, I'm still there with a handful of people. His holiness turns around and he looks at us like we're kind of like confused. Like he looks at us confused and we're looking at him confused. And he, he starts to wave and say, well, what are you doing? Get in here. <laughs> and so the remaining, the remainder of the people out there were like, oh my gosh, really? So we all go into the monastery and it's this tiny little room. And we're sitting here with his holiness 
and he starts to talk and teach and um, a very profound lesson at the end of it, he wants to take a picture with everybody. And so he says, okay. And so we're all getting in line, uh, standing there in front of the photographer. And he just is right next to me. And he looks over at me and he reaches his hand out. He wants to hold my hand. And I'm thinking, okay. Oh so, I, yeah. <laughs> so I just take his hand and I'm holding his hand. And you, I mean, I have the photo of this and I just, I'm just like in a completely other state take this photo and then the photographer says wait everyone move over two feet so then you know we let go of hands and we move over two feet and I'm still kind of like just in this blissful state (laughs) and then he looks at me again and he reaches for me again and he takes my hand we're just here holding hands and I'm thinking what is going on and I just thought, oh my gosh is this real right now so this is like my first interaction with his holiness and from that year forward I would kind of I know his schedule where he's going to be in the United States every year that he comes and so I would just attend those places and assist and help and always at some point or another there we are again face to face eye to eye and having this connection that I just never imagined um would be possible. And then the following year after that, I mean, every year there was some sort of encounter. One year he comes to California and he says, you know, there's a lot of Vietnamese people in Southern California. And he says, I want to come back the following year to speak to just the Vietnamese people. And I'm thinking, amazing, right? (laughs) So I get a call from a woman in Canada asking me, because she kind of works, it's just this connection with the Buddhist community. She says, do you know um, a Vietnamese Buddhist temple in Orange County? And I said, yeah, I know a ton, but I know one in particular my family goes to. So I kind of recommend that. Next thing I know, I hear the news, His Holiness is coming back to that temple that my family goes to. My uncle does the gardening there. My aunt cooks for the monks there and the nuns there. So he arrives the year later. There I am again in Vietnamese um, temple uniform, greeting him on stage, standing with him. I mean, it's always these really close encounters that I, I have to pinch myself every time. And, you know, it's the most beautiful connection. I, I mean, I had so many visits from him in my dreams. Um, I had a dream about his as He had come to my house and he was tired and he was hungry. But he really wanted to take a nap. And so I said, of course, come, come. I put him in the guest room and he gives me his little... Um, sachet the little bag of his that has all of his relics that he would put down in, on his altar so it has you know the dorja it has the bell it has his little um, buddhist buddha figures um, all of his little important items in his little sachet and he gave that to me in his dream and i just remembered laying it out on the bedside for him bedside table and tucking him in <laughs> to bed <laughs> You know, it's like, 
these kind of visits in my dreams. And we know the dream is a, is, it is another dimension. Absolutely. It is another reality. Um, they are just as real as this reality, this, this dimension here. It's just that we are so um, focused and absorbed into this space. We're learning, right? How to kind of move into other dimensions consciously. So that was, I mean, it's just kind of a constant connection like that with the Dalai Lama that I've had through the years. Um, and it's just so beautiful. Yeah. And, and, you know, even with every encounter, there is some sort of uh, teaching or transmission that you're getting because I have sat before uh, teachers where I haven't had the chance to actually speak with them one-on-one, but I am speaking to them and they are speaking directly to me. There's something bigger that's happening. And the fact that you had chosen to be there in that room with those teachers, it is, um, the most powerful merits just to have shown up. And so, you know, um, you receive all those blessings and the purification and just being in the space. And, and I can vouch for that because I was always told that, but I, I started to really see that. And I really started to understand that really powerful transmission as I started to see how much, um, it was a, I was absorbing it, whether I understood in the moment or not, and how much it was transforming my life, and how subtle I was becoming, you know, um, and it was just sort of that constant wanting to be there. And then like, the, the wisdom, the information, the knowledge, like, it just comes and it's, it becomes so clear so so clear it's so hard to explain right because unless you've taken those steps and and had like those times of being with these teachers it's it's really hard to explain what that experience is like and that feeling and and the shift that the subtle the subtle shift but yet huge in in another way um yeah i mean like i said after that new york experience I was never the same. I could not, it's like, there's no turning back. I was just reborn, completely reborn. Yeah. I want to also talk to you about how the music industry and artists have really been affected by COVID and the pandemic and, um, you know, music needing to find new and creative ways to be able to get to people. But before I ask you that, I have to ask you about the crystal behind you because it's magnificent and beautiful. (laughs) And is that an altar of yours or is that clear quartz? So, okay, originally when I had, I'll move aside, you can see, originally when I had moved into this space, um, this whole like structure was built because I, I wanted, I wanted that to be the altar. And then as we lived here for a bit and we're walking back and forth and I thought, oh my gosh, this is like the line that we're constantly walking back and forth in front of and to get to the bedroom, to get to the living room, to the kitchen. And I just, something in me said, uh, no, that's not the altar space. You shouldn't be stepping back and forth like that. The altar space should be in an area that is a little bit more calm. <laughs> um, so I changed my mind and I thought, well, what the heck are we going to do with this? So my friend, um, 
Jeffrey, I don't know if you've ever heard out in Los Angeles, a store called Mystic Journey Bookstore. Oh, yes, I have. Yeah, it's been here for ages. And um, he has every spiritual book there, every mystical book there. Um, He had like crystals and all such. But he started to get into mining more. And he opened up a crystal gallery here in Venice as well. And there are these just incredible pieces. And so he calls it um, Mystic Journey Gallery. So there's two places now. And we went in there and I just like saw this piece and was completely drawn to it. And I just knew we had to bring it home and we had the exact perfect place for it. Perfect place for it. It's beautiful. Yes, I love it. And as soon as we brought it in, it was one of the first things we moved in. It completely shifted the energy. energy. We felt grounded. We felt, okay, this is home. I can feel it. Yeah, Um, it's beautiful. I had to ask because I'm so drawn to it too. I'm like, oh, it's beautiful. Are there any um, crystals? Do you actually like have any on you when you're practicing or singing? Or do you use crystals in a way to help facilitate the sound that comes out? So um, it's a funny thing. Like I remember especially, okay, as I was transitioning from like this performing for just a very straight mainstream audience, I felt like I was living kind of like these dual worlds. One was singing for the super mainstream audience. One was at Kirtans and yoga festivals. And I mean, it was two completely different worlds. And I just always felt when I was out in the mainstream world, I needed to take a piece of this other world with me to kind of keep my vibration high because the energy that comes back to you is just so different. And um, I knew that I needed a little bit of assistance too. So I always carried a little quartz crystal in my <laughs> bra. In your bra. Yeah. We all have them in there. Yeah. <laughs> like if the only thing I have in my pocket is I would always carry it with me as just a reminder of why I'm there and what I'm doing. And no matter what I'm singing, no matter what, who the audience is, I am here to serve and I want to keep my vibration clear and high and always bring in that energy, no matter what environment that I'm in, because singing is my tool to connecting to other people and to sharing these blessings and gifts and knowledge and wisdom to them. So yeah, I would um, always carry a crystal with me. (laughs) Good for you. (laughs) Yeah. I had a feeling when I saw the crystal in the background there, she's got to carry crystals. I'm sure she does. All right. So let's talk to before we kind of end a little bit. I also want to talk about what you're doing with your new album because the piano accompaniment is just beautiful with your voice. I love the piano. I fall in love with anything, you know, that I hear that is connected to the piano. Um, But yeah, talk a little bit about how have you been kind of surviving as a musician during COVID times? Um, And there's been, for me personally, a lot of grief because uh, just commuting with people to live music it like cleans my soul. It washes me. I feel like I get a whole chakra clearing every time I go to a live concert. Uh, so it has been really hard as the listener and as the participant, not the performer, um, to not have that and trying to 
find ways to still experience that because listening to somebody I'm sure listening to you through my speakers here is a totally different experience than when I am in your presence. Like you said, like hearing those opera singers went to the opera when I was in college, we had this humanities class and we had to go to the Met um, to experience the opera. And I was like, okay, I'm not really digging opera, but I'll see what, you know, everybody loves it. And you're right. I was completely moved, didn't understand a word, but there is a presence and a feeling. And I know that the uh, music community, you know, musicians are, are struggling a little bit. They're trying to live stream. Um, there are some facilities now, um, I can think like in the palace, the palace theater, I think that's in Schenectady, New York. They have musicians coming in and performing on stage, but it's still live stream. You can't quite wow. get that full quality. So how has it been for you during the pandemic and not um, being able to travel? The same thing, I guess. I mean, as a human being, um, as you can probably relate to, I mean, we know that this is happening again for a really major, major reason. We'll, we'll know more later too, as we're um, going through it more. Um, but I, I have to say during the pandemic, I, it's been beautiful and absolutely sad at the same time. Um, beautiful in the way that it's, it has given me this um, time to have the time to reflect and to really see things clear. I mean, when the years are going and you are just hustling through, it's intense. It can get very intense. And I mean, you're just acting off intuition constantly. You're like, okay, this is the next thing. You don't even have time to really, to really think it's just feel and act and trust this year has given me the opportunity to feel and act, trust, but slowly, and to really kind of um, rethink, re reformat everything. So I'm really blessed for that because I have had many um, beautiful discoveries during this year. Yeah. I- yeah. Yeah, I I like that you said that because I always I've been wondering about the musicians that I love. And I also feel like, you know, when I see people go on tour and like you're saying, it's just boom, the next, the next, the next that I wondered if, you know, the opportunity and the healing for the artists and the musicians is also a time to go within to create more and to just slow down so much. I bet you anything. The mute, when we look back at this time, just saving a couple of years or a few years from now, and we see how much beautiful art mm-hmm. was created during this time, whether it be music or film or paintings, I mean, it's going to reflect what we had gone through. And those who are coming from a place of light, I mean, can you only imagine what we're going to like slowly continue to discover through the years of what had been created during these years, you know, yeah. um, all of these hardships and, you know, trivial times are going to inspire you, especially as an artist. Um, it will transform you. So I, I, I do feel that in me. Um, I absolutely miss singing for an audience because there's nothing, nothing, that can compare to being connected to someone physically, at least in this dimension, on this realm. We like that. We like that human contact, that human connection. Um, I mean, we can never compare to that. But we just, 
for me, I really had to um, make do and get creative and yeah, do live stream things, collaborate. This last album, album Illuminance, we all recorded remotely, but it made me realize, it made all of us realize that, wow, we can simplify things. Things can be simple and still incredible. You know, we do we have to go and be at this massive studio anymore? And, you know, it's so expensive. You have to get everybody down there. This The whole organizational thing. I mean, it's, it's it, the production itself can be really intense as well. There's something about recording from home, I do have to say, that is in your space, your comfort zone. Um, you perform differently at home than you do in the studio. It's just obvious, you know? So I think it, it's possible. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy about that. I do miss um, jamming. I miss kind of being in spirit with people next to me and, and all of that. But, you know, um, this has taught all of us musicians and artists a lot that we can still do this and we can still find ways to connect and we are connected you know, and if anything, we're even more connected now because we don't take it for granted anymore. It's it, it's even more exciting. Um, but yeah, I've, I've, I've I'm trying to get very creative. We don't know how much longer this is going to go on for. I do have plans to do some pretty big live stream events coming up in January, February. Um, and my whole take on it is, I want to still bring the magic. So. I want to create something that will still take people into a place of magic and experience. Um, so we have a really beautiful production coming up that um, I'm just really excited about. Um, yeah, well, I think the show might actually come out around that time. So can you um, let people know where they can find your music, find you, your website? Um, how do we listen to your live stream and let us know about that? So um, you can find everything um, about me and songs and music and albums from my website, uh, sangeetakarmusic.com. Uh, you can find my YouTube page at Sangeeta Car Music, Instagram at Sangeeta Car Music, Facebook uh, Sangeeta Car, and um, the live streams were most likely going to try to hit every platform. So if if you can find me on any of those platforms, um, it should be there. And we are hoping to do this in um, the Lunar New Year. So the second new moon of the year, it happens to be um, the Vietnamese New Year as well. And we wanted to choose an astrological date that has meaning and power behind it. Um, I wish I can share more information because it's okay. <laughs> but uh, if we go to your website and we click events, that will have the You will be able to find that for okay. the live and we will share more of that um, probably after, probably in December, you'll hear more about that. 
Okay. And I just love the fact that you are a musician that plans around stuff like that. There's so much intent behind it, consideration and planning. So that is so awesome. Well, you have been a tremendous guest. Um, My audience probably knows April loves her because I've spent a little more time with you than I usually do with some other guests. But, you know, I, I have just a big heart for musicians in the world because music has saved my life on a numerous amount of occasions. It keeps me going. Um, it is just so precious. And I just feel that people like you, I always say to people that have this gift, is that we need you, you know, and I am so happy that you were so stubborn, that stubborn Capricorn that said, (laughs) I'm doing this and I'm following it because we need it. And I really believe Um, This is just my belief that artists, you know, like yourself are really here to help us heal. I feel like that there are people that are chosen for that role to have that gift that can deliver that can serve. Like you said, Um, you're here to serve. And um, yeah, you're just so needed in this world. So keep singing. It it is beautiful. You have a new fan here. And I hope all of our listeners become your fans. I know I'll be following you and I hope that if uh, the live stream works out and I'm free, I will be watching and listening. So thank you so much. This has been such a refreshing experience to be able to talk about some of these things with you. Um, It's not often that I get to in some of my interviews, but with you, because this is, it's podcast 11. I mean, come on, like we're able to, share all of this. So I'm really grateful for this time. And um, thank you for for having me. Yes, you're welcome. You're welcome anytime. If you want to come and sing on our podcast for us, we'll take that too. Um, So yeah, so thank you so much. And thank you everyone for listening, for tuning in. Please support her, support this beautiful man, musician, Sangeeta Kaur. Uh, Go to her website, download her music. And uh, I will talk to everyone next time. Take care, everyone. Thank you so much.